You know, of course, that uh, today is Memorial Day weekend, and uh, it's a time set aside to remember those who gave their lives so that we might enjoy the freedoms uh, that are ours in our country. And um, Memorial Day. A memorial is something that's designed to help us remember, right? Because we easily forget a lot of things. Uh, All through the scriptures, it seems that God is encouraging us to remember. You might uh, think about some of these familiar uh, places in the scriptures where God talks about this. You know, the Lord's table, do this what? In remembrance of me. Don't ever forget the cross. Always remember, you know, do this in remembrance of me. Um, What God has done and what God has said. Uh, The feasts of Israel were designed to help the Israelites remember the significant things God did in their history. Um, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Don't forget, you know, one out of seven days, God intends for us to set aside uh, for himself, uh, to be holy, to be set apart. Uh, Jesus said, remember the words spoken to you by the prophets. Or in uh, John chapter 14 and verse 26, Jesus said these words, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance everything that I said to you. God wants to help us remember uh, where we came from, what he's done in our past, and how we got to where we're at. Or you could say negatively in Psalm Chapter 9 and uh, verse 1, God says this, uh, uh, David says this, you know, I give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount or remember all your wonderful deeds. And then negatively in verse 17, listen to how he puts this. The wicked shall return to Sheol, the place of the dead, all the nations that forget God. Who are the wicked? The wicked are those who forget God. God, who don't remember the opposite of remembering. So I wanted to uh, just uh, talk about the influence of our God on the founding of our country, uh, and just to reflect a little bit on some of the things that have happened in our past. In 1863, kind of Civil War uh, time, President Lincoln issued a proclamation uh, creating a national day of feasting Uh, fasting, I'm sorry, fasting and prayer. Here's what he said. We have forgotten God, Abraham Lincoln, back in 1863. We have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our own hearts that these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace and too proud to pray to the God that made us. Way back in 1860s. Um, Abraham Lincoln. I would argue with you uh, this morning that the Judeo-Christian faith was the greatest influence in the founding of our great but not perfect nation, America. In 1776, when the Declaration of Independence was signed, 
Um, It marked the birth of a nation which now, as we look back, we can see that God destined us for world leadership. If we look at our history as Americans and think about the influence we've had on the world and some of the turmoil that's going on in the present, we can see that God has used our nation. And I would suggest to you that while our forefathers declared independence from uh, England, they also at the same time declared dependence on Almighty God. In God we trust, right? And so the closing words of the Declaration of Independence go like this. With a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence... It's the same prayer that Ben prayed for us this morning. In dependence upon uh, divine providence for protection, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor, the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Fifty-six men who signed the Declaration of Independence were mostly wealthy, prosperous landowners who uh, were respected in their communities and uh, who were mostly Christians, not all, but mostly. But freedom and liberty of religion was more important to these signers of the Declaration of Independence than their earthly comfort. So of the 56 people who signed the Declaration of Independence, five were captured and tortured to death by the British, Twelve had their homes either looted, burned to the ground, or occupied by soldiers. Two lost their sons to the war. Nine died in the war. And so we asked the question, you know, where would we be if it hadn't been for people who counted the cost of freedom and were willing to pay the price? The freedom that we enjoy today as Christians was paid for in blood right on the cross by Jesus Christ. But the freedom that we enjoy as Americans was also paid for in blood on the battlefield by soldiers, by relatives of ours uh, over the years if we go back far enough. So our theologically astute forefathers understood, I think, uh, that the Judeo-Christian faith is a self-governing religion. And on that basis established the government that we've inherited uh, way back in the very beginning. Theologically astute founders understanding that the Judeo-Christian faith is a self-governing religion under the sovereignty of God, not the sovereignty of the state. And on that basis, we built a government, or they built a government, uh, that is like we have today. The freedom granted to us by God uh, is experienced by depending on God and trusting in God's love for us and his word to us. In 1799, right around 1800, John Adams, the second president of the United States, made another proclamation, and here's what he said. I have thought proper, proper to recommend a day of solemn humiliation, fasting, and prayer, that the citizens on that day abstain, as far as they may be, from their secular occupation, devote the time to sacred duties of religion in public and in private, 
that they call to mind our numerous offenses against the Most High God. This is the President of the United States speaking. That we call to mind our offenses against the Most High God, confess them before him, and with the sincerest patience implore his pardoning mercy through the great mediator and redeemer, Jesus, for our past transgressions. And that through the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may be disposed and enabled to yield a more suitable obedience to his righteous requisitions in time to come. That he would make us deeply sensible that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Can you imagine a president in modern times issuing a proclamation such as that? The Trinity, the, whole, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the proclamation. And so I want to suggest to you that the new world that our forefathers envisioned uh, was a uh, political expression okay, of the Judeo-Christian ideas that are founded on biblical principles in love for God and for people. And that's what made our nation significant, unique, and great. When you think about it, um, nations are founded on some kind of theistic idea or anti-theistic idea. Um, I've been to India a few times on some missions uh, kind of adventures, and in India, it's Hinduism. There are three main gods, but then there's this whole plethora of various gods that people worship. In China, it's Confucianism. In Saudi Arabia, it's Islam. In Israel, it's Judaism. In Russia, it's uh, atheism, right? But nations have some kind of theistic root. And if America doesn't have Judeo-Christian roots, where did the ideas for the uniqueness of our country come from? I submit to you that they came from the influence of the Judeo-Christian religion. Back in the early days, as I read uh, history, I realized that uh, there were many uh, comparisons made by the early citizens of our country, comparisons between the Israelites fleeing from Egypt and the colonists fleeing from Britain. And those comparisons uh, served to kind of create a narrative whereby the early colonists understood kind of a mission, if you will, for uh, this new country. And uh, in understanding what happened, uh, Moses and the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, uh, had a significant influence on the thinking of the early uh, colonists in our country. It helped them to understand what was going on. It gave narrative. In fact, on um, July 4th in 1776, after passing the Declaration of Independence, the Continental Congress asked Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin uh, to come up with a public face, okay, John Adams as well, to come up with a public face uh, for the new United States. And um, both of those men, uh, Jefferson and Franklin, uh, were deists. They're not Christian. A deist is somebody who uh, depends upon their own reasoning to define God as opposed to God's revelation about himself. And they were both deists, but 
together they decided that Moses should be the new face of the 13 colonies as uh, the Declaration of Independence was put together. So kind of significant influence from the pilgrims all the way on down to uh, the forming of the Constitution and so forth that uh, the first five books of Moses uh, sort of provided the cultural identity uh, of the people of the 13 uh, colonies. And that was primarily formed by Scripture. Don't forget this is right after um, the Reformation. And so for the first time, people are starting to read the Bible on their own, which was prohibited before uh, the Reformation. And they're starting to understand uh, the past and what happened and so on. So towards the end of Moses' life, um, Moses gave three sermons, and they're all found in the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. But before he died, he gave three sermons. The first one was really about remembrance. It was like, don't forget what God has done in our past. Uh, The second one was kind of a summary or a restatement of the law, of the Ten Commandments in particular, and some of the other uh, rules and and, uh, laws that God had given them. And in this process, um, I I think that Moses sort of gave God's vision for a society that would be so unique that it would draw other societies to God through the nation of Israel. And we can show you some evidence in scripture that that was part of God's will. Uh, God gave us a vision for a truly great society uh, dependent on Israel's trusting God and obeying him and uh, living by the law and giving themselves to God's law. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 1, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. And then he goes on, and we have a restatement by Moses of the Ten Commandments and some of the rules uh, that God had given to them. And, so, and then the third sermon was really a call to commitment in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verses 6 through 8. Uh, here's what the Lord said. He said, well, Moses said on behalf of the Lord, uh, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The word holy just means set apart, different. Holy, set apart. God is holy. He is unique. He's different. He's not like anything else we know. For you are a people holy to the Lord. You're God's people. You're supposed to be different. You're set apart for a unique purpose over the course of your life, right? And especially he's talking here to the nation of Israel. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. God has chosen his people to be this unique possession of his, okay? And then he goes on and he says, um, out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. And it wasn't because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chosen you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So why did the Lord, the Lord chose these people to be holy, to be set apart, to be unique, to be in the uh, uh, culture of the world, if you will, for God's purposes, to be a godly nation, a godly society uh, that would uh, help the rest of the world understand who God is. 
and what he's all about, a people for himself or a society after his own image. And you'll notice that the starting point for a great society is recognizing the love of God. God loves us. He loves the people he created. And recognizing that and remembering that is the beginning of this godly nation called Israel. And then God intends uh, his law to bring blessing. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 and uh, verse 12, uh, here again uh, what the Lord says. Because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep uh, with you uh, the covenant or the promises and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, multiply you. He will bless the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your ground, your grain, your wine, your oil, the increase of your herds, uh, the young of your flock in the land that he swore Uh, to your fathers to give to you. God says, listen, you follow my laws, my rules, and I will bless you. I don't know where we got the idea that the Ten Commandments are designed to, you know, uh, rob us of all the fun and good times that we want to have in life. Just the opposite is God's intent. God said, if you really want to live a great life, you know, trust me. Trust my word. Um, Trust what I'm telling you. I think... uh, Kind of the lesson here that we can, one of the lessons that we can learn is that, you know, freedom is great, but freedom without God's word doesn't work. America from time to time has gone to different countries and tried to liberate them and bring our kind of freedom to those kinds of countries, but without God's word, it it fails. It doesn't work. Why? Because recognizing the sovereignty of God Uh, creates a self-governing people, and our kind of government works for a self-governing people whom God influences. But it doesn't work if God's laws aren't a part of the deal. And this is what uh, has happened. God intended the law to be this great blessing. You know, God freed Israel from Egypt, but the first thing he did is lead them to Mount Sinai and give them his law. Why do you do that? Because freedom without the law doesn't work. It's freedom plus God's word into our lives that set up the nation of Israel and that I think uh, was at the founding of our country uh, a tremendous influence. America realized our freedom from independence, our freedom and our independence. That's one thing. But we also recognize the need for a constitution, the need for a bill of rights, uh, the need for a rule of law. Uh, America was looking, I think, for an authority higher than King George. And in the narrative of Moses and the Israelites leaving Egypt and founding uh, their own nation and so on eventually, uh, our early uh, colonists found a narrative whereby God himself, through a relationship with Jesus Christ, became a personal God that we could know. And that by that relationship, people's lives were governed. And uh, they were uh, led in different directions and so forth. And so, um, for example, way back in uh, Leviticus, it's interesting, in Leviticus um, chapter 25 and verse 10, a portion of that was lifted to put on the Liberty Bell. If you go down to Philadelphia and look up and go to the Liberty Bell, here's what you'll find inscribed on the Liberty Bell. Proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. Uh, 
that's how strong the influence of Moses and the Torah was on the early founding of our country. Uh, we realized uh, our freedom, but we also recognized the need uh, that we had. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Again, uh, I think this is just the greatest passage. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, um, here's what uh, the Lord said in verses 6 to 9. Uh, Keep the laws and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples or the nations. Who then will hear all these statutes and the other nations of the world will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? God is saying, look, you know, I'm going to create a superior society here that the world will recognize and be drawn to to discover the God who's behind the wisdom of all of these commandments and rules and laws. And the degree to which all of that in Israel's, you know, origins and uh, in the first five books of Moses, the degree to which that influenced our forefathers is the uh, kind of the juice that floated through and ultimately uh, made America to be uh, the nation uh, that it's been. And so uh, all this to say that uh, God has been involved in our past in a very direct way. And so in the early documents of our nation, um, the influence of God's word and God's wisdom I think we do well to remember from where we came and the degree of influence God had in our country because we are moving away, right, from that influence. It should be obvious to all of us uh, that, you know, we are moving away from uh, the origin of our country. Uh, So here's a couple of examples. Um, In the Ten Commandments, in the Torah, in the first five books of Moses, and especially in the Ten Commandments, Uh, the morals and the standards and the ideas of right and wrong are defined by God, okay? Today, our laws are legislated by government. Just think about the difference. You know, in the Bible, in the first five books of the Bible, we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And God says, look, I created this whole world for you to enjoy. Have at it. There's one tree in the middle of the garden. It's called the tree of the knowledge of what? Right and wrong. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's my department, God, so just leave it alone. You want to know what's right or wrong? Just ask me. I'll tell you. And of course, Satan came and said to our original parents, right? Hey, you can be God yourself. Decide right and wrong for yourself. And that's where everything started to go south, right? And you can trace that all the way through, and you can uh, sort of figure out what's going on today. Our laws are legislated by government instead of by God, and that's why people today will say, you know, I don't understand what's happening. What used to be wrong is now right, and what used to be right is now wrong. Well, we moved away from God defining what's right and wrong, from the Garden of Eden all the way to today, um, to having ourselves, through our government and so forth, determine what's right and wrong through legislature. A second uh, idea kind of 
bubbles up when you read the first five books of the Bible. In the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible, uh, crimes were committed against victims and against God. And God was offended when crimes uh, happened. And today, crimes are against the state, right? We have state prosecutors who bring crimes against people, and it's all become impersonal. And oftentimes, one of the cries and one of the issues that you know, goes on today is, what about the victims who often get overlooked in this process? And uh, I think when you read the Torah, you realize that the crimes are against the victims and uh, not against the state, but against God. Another thing in the Torah is that the criminal justice um, in the Torah was the responsibility of the whole community, not just um, justice professionals, criminal justice professionals, who for the most part we call lawyers today, uh, but enforcement was in the hands of all of the people, not just the police and the courts. Um, you know that uh, passage back in Exodus where uh, the Lord talks about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? That whole, if you read the context there, that whole discussion is about uh, limiting um, retribution. Limiting, like, like if somebody pokes out your eye, you can't do more than poke out the other person's eye. Like, you know how feuds can kind of escalate? The whole, that whole law was given to, to de-escalate and make sure that things didn't get out of hand and that people went overboard in uh, seeking vengeance and, and so on and so forth. But the criminal justice system was really uh, in the hands of the whole community. Um, it, and, and the focus was to not let things escalate. Also in the Torah, um, I think you would see that the focus of justice, uh, in the mind of God anyway, uh, was restoration and restitution and not just punishment. Uh, the criminal was made to make up for his wrong. If you stole $100 from somebody, you had to pay back 120 you know, 20% interest on top of uh, restoring what you did to the other person. And so uh, the criminal was given an opportunity, but also made to uh, make right uh, out of his wrong. The Torah, I think, demanded justice uh, for both the victim and the violator, and always demanded some um, recognition or some sacrifice for God uh, because all crime was against him. The Torah also, uh, I think, has a lot to say about social justice, not just criminal justice, but social justice, which I think has influenced much of Americans' generosity over the history of the nation uh, that we're a part of. Uh, we've been uh, a very generous and, and we think differently than most of the world. I have a uh, friend, his name is Gary Allen. I don't know if you've ever met him, but he's a missionary to the United Nations. And uh, he has a really great ministry. He was a brain surgeon before the Lord called him into this. And he works with diplomats from all over the world at the United Nations, helping them to understand. He has these luncheons and he gives a lecture. He invites all these people to a luncheon, gives a lecture and uh, helps people to understand God's purpose and God's way of governing people and why they are in the office they are and what they should be doing and so on and so forth. Uh, he's written several books, and um, he's, he's really, 
he wrote a paper that I thought was excellent about the difference between a politician and a statesman. And he talked about some of the people in the past who led our country as statesmen and what the difference is between that and a politician. Anyway, um, he tells me that at the United Nations, a great deal of discussion, first of all, a great deal of discussions about the Middle East, that's the, uh, you know, takes up the most time, but a great deal of discussion is also about poverty. And that many people in office and, and at the UN, you know, um, have the dream of seeing their country uh, be free from the poverty that afflicts so many countries around the world. And again, in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, God shows his concern uh, for the poor. In Deuteronomy 15, uh, you know, there are many examples of this, but I just picked a couple. In Deuteronomy 15, the first few verses, uh, at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And uh, this is the manner of the release every creditor shall release. When he has lent to his neighbors, he shall not exact of his neighbors, uh, uh, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. Of a foreigner, you may exact it. But whatever of yours is with your brother, uh, your hand shall release. But uh, there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all of his commandments that I command you today. I'm going to create a superior society, God is saying. A society after my image and my likeness and my thoughts and so on. And uh, here's what we're going to do. You know, every seventh year, we're going to just forgive all the loans that we've made to each other, not to the foreigner, not to everybody, but to make this nation be what it's supposed to be, uh, we're going to look out for our brothers and there's not going to be any poverty. Uh, That's God's idea, again, in the Torah and so on. Also, there was to be a sabbatical year uh, for the land in uh, Exodus Uh, God talks about this in Exodus chapter 23 uh, and verses 10 and 11. Ten and 11. For six years you shall sow your land, gather its yield, but the seventh year let it rest and lie fallow, and the poor of your people may eat, that the poor of your people may eat. And what they leave the beasts of the field will eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Every seventh year, just give the land a rest. Stuff still grows, and the poor can come. And uh, gleaning was another, uh, you know, several places in the Bible talk about the practice of gleaning where uh, landowners were to just go through at harvest time once and leave behind uh, some grain and some olives and fruit or whatever, and uh, the poor could come. And again, this wasn't charity. This was opportunity. You still had to work. You still had to go to the field and, and pick it out and you know, preserve it and figure out how you were going to get through the next six years and all of that. Uh, but uh, it was an opportunity for people uh, who were poor to be able to eat. Uh, land was a capital thing. Uh, Leviticus. Uh, you know, land was uh, capital in, in Israel, was given by God, it was God's land, and it was never, uh, you know, owned by the people as such, and I think the same we would say today, Leviticus 25, 23, and 24, uh, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine, the Lord said. 
uh, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land. And then, you know, every 50th year there was the Jubilee and all the land went back to the original people, the original tribe that God, the original family that God gave the land to. And so it's like, you know, if you had a dumb uncle who sold all your land out from under you or something because he was an alcoholic or whatever, you know, every 7th or 50th year you got the land back and God was like, okay, now let's see what you can do with the land for the next, you know, 49 years and so on. And so there was this kind of, uh, you know, uh, you could see how all of this would create, you know, a superior society. Now, Israel never did this to the letter of the law. They never really lived up to all of God's commands, right? And so Israel never really achieved uh, all that I think God had dreamed for them. Um, But these were some of the roots, and I believe that these things influenced some of our thinking And please hear me, I'm not saying that America replaced Israel, right? I'm not saying that the church took the place of Israel. I think there's only one Israel, one nation of Israel. The promises to Israel that are not yet fulfilled will be in the future and so forth. I'm just saying that uh, the early settlers understood from the narrative of what happened with Moses and the Israelites uh, to be a narrative by which we could understand what was happening in our country. And uh, it influenced, a great influence on the founding of our country. Another thing in uh, Leviticus 19, uh, justice was to be fair. It wasn't to be in favor of the rich or uh, the poor. It was to be level. Uh, 1915 um, says this. uh, Okay, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. There was to be a level justice system. It wasn't if you had more money, you could get a better lawyer and you could you know, get off and all of those kinds of things. There was uh, to be a level. And there was uh, actually uh, charity. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, especially for uh, widows and for orphans, In Deuteronomy 14, there was a special offering that was taken, and it was for uh, the widows and the orphans, verses uh, 28 and 29 of uh, chapter 14. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance of land, Uh, with you and the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of the hands uh, that your hands do and so on. So yes, there was provision for charity as well. Now, I think you can see how all of this together would create a kind of a superior society um, that would be attractive to the people around them. And uh, I don't know if you realize this, but um, as late as 1947, uh, 1947, President Harry Truman uh, said in uh, Washington, D.C., that this nation, America, is a Christian nation. Not an eyebrow was raised. Can you imagine somebody saying this in our legislature today? Not an eyebrow. 1947. In 1948 is when Israel was reconstituted as a state, remember? 
So I think it's a miracle of biblical proportion and prophesied. And uh, Harry Truman, our president, was the first to recognize Israel as a constituted state. And then um, I have a, I didn't know if I'd have time or not, but uh, I wanted to just read to you a Supreme Court uh, ruling that came down. And uh, here's what it said. Our laws and our institutions must necessarily be based upon and embody the teachings of the Redeemer of Mankind. It is impossible that it should be otherwise, and in this sense, and to this extent, our civilization and our institutions are emphatically Christian. This is the Supreme Court. Uh, This is a religious people. This is historically true. From the discovery of this continent to the present hour, there is a single voice making this affirmation. We find everywhere a clear recognition of the same truth These and many other matters which might be noticed add a volume of unofficial declarations to the mass of organic utterances that this is a Christian nation. Can you imagine the Supreme Court of the United States saying something like that today? But I just cite it to say that we had roots and people ask what's going wrong or what's going on and we don't remember, you know, the God of our forefathers and the God of the scriptures, and the God of Jesus. One last uh, passage of scripture, and I promise I'll be done. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30. Again, uh, Moses says, Look, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I commanded you today by loving the Lord your God, By walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not be Uh, long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and to possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life." The Israelites were already God's people, but they had to make a choice. Am I going to trust my own reasoning and my own thought process? Or am I going to trust the word of God? For us, the gospel, right? It's the word of God that changes everything. Well, we Christians, we're already God's people, but we have the same choice. We have the same choice. Am I going to trust my own reasoning and my own thoughts? that are influenced by my past, by my culture, by my friends, by media, whatever? Or am I going to trust the word of God? And am I going to build my life believing that the best life that God has for me will come when I take him at his word and allow his word to change everything about me? Let's pray together. Gracious God and Father, we are... 
I think I can speak for all of us here today. Uh, We are so thankful that we live in America as Christians and that we have opportunities that so many other people just don't have. And that, Father, you have had influence on the founding of this nation and uh, that, Father, we recognize today that uh, more and more we're turning away from those foundational principles, from those foundational words that you gave to Israel back in your word, and turning away, Father, even from the gospel and the good news about how Jesus is the only Savior of mankind. And so I pray, Father, that you'll help us to recognize we have a choice to make ourselves. And that uh, as we live out our daily lives, uh, we have to choose whether we're going to submit to our own reasoning and our own thoughts and the influence of our culture, or are we willing to be holy? Are we willing to be set apart to be different? Are we willing, Father, to uh, live the principles that you've given us by which you want to bless us? And the degree to which we do that, we pray that you would enable us by your spirit, by your strength, your power, and your love to enable us to, Father, live the life that you intend for us through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.